The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check. Oh, dear, oh, dear. The Mavericks are in big-time doo-doo, and I am here to break down how deep in the shit they are. But first, let's get into some other news around the league, starting with De'Aaron Fox and why he hates college basketball. We then talk about LeBron hiring the LeBron James of foot doctors, Pat Bev being Pat Bev, and more. Playing is just around the corner, folks. So, Nick, do me a favor and drop that generic-ass beat that should be Rihanna. So a little story time. Just got back from Cincinnati. Uh, I had an event where I emceed the opening of the BetMGM Sportsbook at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Legendary first baseman Sean Casey was there. Colt hero Icky Woods was there uh, from the Bengals. And Kenyon Martin, a.k.a. Kmart, UC Bearcat legend, Nets All-Pro power forward, just number one overall pick, beast. So we're going to actually get Kenyon Martin on the pod soon. He actually asked to be on, which is amazing. Uh, So look out for that. Also father of KJ Martin, who is in prison, a.k.a. playing for the Houston Rockets. Uh, But I did want to talk about some college hoops because I went to Louisville, which is just a short hop down the road uh, from Cincinnati. And I went over to the Yum Center, which is actually, I don't know if you know this, but Yum Center is uh, KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. Yeah. Did not know that. Uh, Watch the Elite Eight game between San Diego State and Creighton, which was an absolute rock fight. Found some cheap-ass tickets like five minutes before game time. Second row, half court on the floor right behind Ian Eagle, which was amazing. Turned out to be an all-time game. This is all just a roundabout way to talk about Deer and Fox hating college basketball and March Madness. They asked him if he's watching any of the games. Uh, This is what he had to say. Watch March Madness at all? Uh, I kind of flip through college games. I can't watch a full college game. Really? No, nah, I can't. <laughs> is it that bad? It's, it's hard. Okay. It's hard. Just the shot making is not at obviously the pro level. The refs are bad. A lot of coaching is really bad. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I can't stand it. A lot of coaching is really bad. Keep in mind, this is a man who was coached by Chuck Snotes, Luke Walton. He said the coaching is really bad. The refereeing is really bad. I don't know if that's a fair assessment. I think it's definitely different. Is it as pretty? For sure not. A lot of people thought that the San Diego State-Creighton game was a disaster. I personally loved it. I watched it up close and personal. It felt like if you were up by four points, 
in that game, you were up by 50. That's how hard a basket was to come by. Miami uh, versus Texas, you had Miami come back from 13 down with no threes. If Creighton or San Diego State would have been up by 13 points, you might as well just call the game over. There's no chance. One, one bucket between either one of them combined might have taken two or three minutes. Not because they were just horrible. The defense was that good. You had a San Diego State Aztec team playing man-to-man, full-court press from second one in the game all the way through. Literally, the first possession, Creighton got the ball. You had our man Trammell playing full-court press on him, just locking him down, making Andrew Nemhard's little brother, making his life just a pain in the ass, tiring him out. You had Kalkenbrenner, seven-footer for Creighton. You had him setting screens for Nemhard in the backcourt. This is the thing about the NBA. It just can't, you can't match the intensity of it, of college basketball, at least until the playoffs. You just can't. The NBA, nobody cares this much. Every rebound is a fight. Players don't take plays off. An entire quarter is unheard of to take off like it is in the NBA. Yes, the NCAA schedule, half the amount, less than half the amount. Like, we'll call it a quarter of the amount of the NBA. But the desire should be the same. It's just, it just isn't. If you look at like a random Pistons-Spurs game in January versus San Diego State versus Creighton in the Elite Eight, I guarantee you'd rather watch San Diego State versus Creighton. Watching Jade and Ivy chuck from 35 feet while every single Spur except for Trey Jones is sitting on the bench for load management. Get out of here. Get out of here. I know the NBA is the best basketball in the world, but that's – Not the point. Different strokes for different folks, and the college game is beautiful in its own way. Side note on college hoops, if you haven't seen Caitlin Clark and her performance uh, two nights ago, uh, 41-point triple-double, first in NCAA history, never been a 30-point triple-double in women's college tournament history before, and she had 41. Go find that shit on YouTube. My Lord, I think Caitlin Clark might be I think she might be the best college player, men's or women's, in history. I'm not even joking. Not even joking. The Mavs are so fucked. They are, I mean, they are absolutely toast. The more you think about it and break down what's happening with this team, roster, assets, draft situation, et cetera, and also just like play right now, just performances, period, the more you realize this team is just so screwed. They are absolutely done. How bad is it that the only option that the Mavs have right now the only like slight way out to salvage the disaster that is this season is to lose every single game for the rest of the season. I'm not joking. Seven games left. 
the only thing that the Mavs can do to fix it even a little bit, which is not going to fix the whole thing, is to tank. Lose it. Shut Luka down. Lose every single game. Let me explain why that will be. So we talked last week about the Mavericks-Warriors game, and that ended in the protest. Dallas said that it was supposed to be their ball, and the Warriors ended up getting an easy dunk, and then that ended up them losing the game and and falling from 6th to, like, 10th, right? And we said that the last few games were pretty easy, right? We said, oh, fortunately, uh, they have two games against the Hornets, the Pacers, the Bulls, the Hawks, and the Spurs. All winnable games. Since then, the Mavs got their doors blown off to the Charlotte Hornets twice. Without LaMelo, without Terry Rozier, and without one other player as well. It was just Gordon Hayward doing Gordon Hayward things. By the way, did I mention that that was the largest underdog win of the season? The the Hornets were 16.5-point dogs and won outright. And the Mavs, in those two games that they both lost against the Hornets, they only led in those two games for 91 seconds combined. Out of 92 minutes or 96 minutes. Did I mention Charlotte has the second-worst record in the East? Those are not just bad losses. Those are change the entire philosophy and direction for the rest of the season kind of losses. Tim McMahon called them maybe the two worst performances, not just of the year, but in recent memory. The second game in Charlotte, Tim McMahon, Dallas Mavericks, I would call him on the beat for ESPN. He called Luka's performance the single worst 40-12-8 game in NBA history. Luca argued with the refs pretty much all night about everything to the point where he got technical, teed up in his 16th of the year, which would have made him ineligible to play Monday night, which is tonight, against the Pacers. And the Pacers are better than the Hornets, except for Adam Silver put his knee pads on and went to work. And found a way, somehow, to rescind Lucas' technical, which the refs the next day came out and said, no, that technical was legit. We are not planning on rescinding it. Where all NBA podcasts today predicted, no, that will not be removed or changed. That call will not be, and it was changed. Any possibility that Adam Silver is a little scared about the potential of having not just Luka miss the playoffs, but LeBron miss the playoffs in the same year? Either way, it's a disaster. So how bad are things for the Dallas Mavericks right now? They are currently a full game behind the Oklahoma City Thunder for the 10 seed and last place in the play-in tournament. Five of their next seven games, Dallas, are against playoff teams. So remember we said schedule's kind of it's not easy anymore. Sixers, Kings, Hawks, Bulls, Heat. This is a team that even if they were trying, could easily go from Western Conference Finals last year to Cancun on three. 
this all sort of seems impossible considering the fact that they were so successful last year. Luka has been largely healthy pretty much all year. And the Mavericks made the biggest deal at the trade deadline, which was getting Kyrie Irving. And do not say that it was Kevin Durant that was the biggest trade because the only reason the Kevin Durant trade happened was because Kyrie asked out. The Mavs are currently 6-9 and in games that Kyrie has played. But here's the part, the little kicker, that people are not talking enough about. The Mavs are 3-8 and in games that Luka and Kyrie both play. Anyone see that coming? That is shocking. So, in summation, the Mavs mortgaged their future to get not just Christian Wood, but Kyrie Irving, giving up multiple picks and multiple assets. And now, the only hope is to maybe re-sign Kyrie, which means they gave up their lockdown defender, and they're probably not going to keep Kyrie. They gave up their lockdown defender, Dorian Finney-Smith, their number two scoring option in Spencer Dinwiddie, who's averaging 17, 4, and 8 as a net, an unprotected 2029 first round draft pick, and two future second round picks for potentially two months of Kyrie Irving, who has given you a 37 and a half winning percentage. Now, it's so bad that Kyrie Irving is getting booed in the stands, getting heckled by Mavericks fans, booted from the game. Things are obviously going according to plan. According to plan. It's not working. Luke in his recent presser, speechless. He's not playing with any joy. He's saying that he has issues with his personal life. All of that is the nightmare scenario. But here's like, I guess, the cherry on top of how bad it is. Do you know how bad it is in Dallas right now? How bad is it, Trista? It's so toxic that the Orlando Magic think that they can lure Luka Doncic away and bring him there. Yes, recent reports are that the Orlando Magic are, quote, monitoring the Luka situation. And they believe, they believe, that Luca would look at the Orlando Magic franchise, which has been in the lottery for every year for about a decade, and be like, yes, I think Orlando is in a better spot to win in the short and intermediate term than my current team, the Dallas Mavericks, that just went to the Western Conference Finals. They believe in their head that that's a possibility. They're like... Yeah, Europeans don't really care about these dog shit cities that they play in. Look at Dirk Nowitzki. Look at Giannis. Look at Nikola Jokic. They don't care that they're in small markets. They don't leave. They stick around. And you know what? I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Things have gone. I actually do believe that Orlando Magic has have more pieces, more draft picks, better cap space flexibility than the Dallas Mavericks in the next decade. I believe that the Orlando Magic right now are in a better spot to win than the Mavericks, which is fucking crazy. Things have gone sideways. You got to put blame all over the place. Nico Harrison is terrible. Jason Kidd's not making decisions correctly at the end of situations. Rumors are that the Mavs locker room is tuning out Jason Kidd. All of these are segments all on their own. 
they're probably going to fire Jason Kidd. He's going to probably be the scapegoat of the NBA and this team, even though he's like the last thing that's the problem for the team. Yeah, he's not good, but let's be honest, there's not much really to to rock with. And if you look at next year, you add in how little cap space this team has. So if you look at 2023-2024, without signing Kyrie Irving, this team has $20-25 million to spend, right? That seems like quite a bit of cap space. Oh, $25 million in free cap space this year. Then you look at how many guys they have locked up, and it's eight. Eight of 15 spots. That means you have $25 million to spend on seven players. What can you get for $20 million across seven human beings in the NBA? My guy, Alan Crabb, was getting $18 million. One man. What are we, what are we talking about? And here's the kicker. You owe, if you're the Dallas Mavericks, this year's first-round pick to the Knicks unless you fall and get a top-10 pick in the lottery. It's a top-10 protected first-round pick. So what does that mean? You got to figure out a way to get that top 10 pick, baby. You got to lose out. So the only way you have an ability to get some young emerging star for cheap in a very loaded draft is that they must lose, shut Luka down, lose seven games in a row, which puts you record-wise right on the brink. You still might be fucked. 36 and 46, which is the ninth worst record in the NBA. Which gives you like a little bit of hope of giving a top 10 pick. Otherwise, which would be a disaster as you lose out and then get the 11th pick, which you have to give it to the Knicks. But otherwise, who are you? You're the L.A. Lakers two years ago with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and a bunch of guys on vet minimum contracts, except for you don't have Anthony Davis and you don't have Russell Westbrook and you just have a younger LeBron James. Ask LeBron how much that worked for him. Think of that. The Mavericks are the 2021 Lakers with just LeBron James. I'm calling it now. The Mavericks are losing Luka. It's happening. If you look at the situation, it's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. Speaking of LeBron James, so he's back, baby, after missing 13 games with that foot injury, plantar, fascia, tear, something. So they lost to the Bulls, which I think is hilarious, 118-108. Braun had a pretty good game, 19-8-3, 30 minutes of play. Came off the bench, actually, which was the first time that he's came off the bench since 2007, which is wild. What's funny, though, was um, – how LeBron described what it took to get him back on the court. Um, did you see this? He said, according to LeBron himself, the first two doctors that LeBron met with told him that he needed to have season-ending surgery. But he didn't believe him. He went to a third doctor whom he called 
the LeBron James of foot doctors and told him, this doctor told him, if he did round-the-clock rehab and training, he could return in time to play out this year. Four weeks later, he's back on the court. But the LeBron James of foot doctors comment is really getting me. It's really, I have, there's so much to peel back on it. And I thought to myself, oh, the LeBron James of foot doctors, he must mean the most obvious, disprovable liar of foot doctors. Because that's, to me, what LeBron James is. He says such meaningless small lies. If he re-injures his plantar fasciitis or whatever it is, his little foot, little tendon on the bottom of his foot, and he misses the playoffs and has to have surgery in the offseason, which he said he might have to have and he's not going to tell us. That means that is exactly right. The LeBron James of foot doctors is the type of doctor who would just lie about things that they know nothing about. Remember when he said, oh, yeah, like I knew that Shea Gilgis-Alexander was going to be an all-NBA caliber player. I just saw him. I knew it. I saw the Migos one time, and I knew they were going to be as big as they were. That's this guy, only he is taking LeBron James's health into his hands. Also, like, the fact that LeBron James is not just saying things in third person. He's not calling, oh, yeah, LeBron James is tired today. LeBron James went through a workout today. He's, he's calling someone else and referring to someone else in the third person of himself. Like, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, I went and saw Creed three. I love that Michael B. Jordan guy. LeBron James of actors. Love that guy. He's really good. It's like, yep, yep. I don't know why he does it. I, I really was thinking about this because I think now it's on purpose because he's not had one scandal in 20-plus years in the league, right? Not one. Not one thing with his – like, not one thing with infidelity, not one thing with, I don't know, like, going on IG Live with a gun, like, not one time that he's been – ultra inebriated in public or drunk or high, nothing, zero. Not in the offseason, not in season, nothing. But then he sets these little banana peels out for himself to slip on, like these very weird things that get us to roast him for being one of the corniest people I've ever seen, the dumbest liar I've ever seen. Remember he was running around with, uh, I think it was Malcolm X's book, and he was on the front page for like, the entire time he was in the bubble, he said he loved the Godfather, watched it a million times, couldn't find one quote. These are calculated PR moves to make him seem more human because otherwise he'd be infallible. I don't understand it. Small comical errors that do nothing really to change his reputation except for to just make him less likable. I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. Let's move on away from LeBron. I think it's time when we talked about the Bulls and Pat Beverly. I do. Didn't want to do it. Didn't think it would amount to much. And over time, we're seeing that the Bulls are better with Pat Bev. So we talked about him last this season. The only reason we talked about him is because he was the worst player in the NBA in terms of plus minus. I think he had the lowest uh, offensive rating in the league. So we talked about that. We made fun of it. He barely played after that. The Lakers moved on from him. You know how that went. Uh, we knew that meant he was getting traded at the deadline. That meant he was probably going to get bought out because he was making like $10 million from 
whoever was going to take his contract on. So Orlando Magic, full circle, said, no, Patrick Beverly is not a player that we want on our roster with this young developing team. They buy him out. So then he signed with the Bulls, but it didn't happen right away. took a little time. I think it took like 10 days. A lot of people thought the Bulls were going to dismantle their roster, get rid of Vooch, get rid of DeRozan, get rid of Labine, get rid of Caruso potentially. There were multiple rumors about them just shutting it all down. So then the deadline came, the deadline went, and what did they do? They acquired Pat Bev. Everyone was clowning the move. Why'd they do it? This doesn't make any sense. And now Patrick Beverly continuing just to show us why we're all wrong. In 15 games that Pat Bev has played as a bull this year, here are his stats. They're not great. Let me just preface it by saying they're not some sort of all. You're not going to see like he's averaging 17, 7, and 5. That's not where we're going, but he's been impactful. 6, 6, and 4 with one and a half steals and blocks per game in 30 minutes of playing time. Plus 69 in his time with the Bulls. The Bulls were 10 and 5 when he's played. In those 15 games, they're 10 and 5. They were 7 and 9 leading up to the trade deadline. That is so impactful. They're currently in 10th place, three games ahead of the Pacers for the final play-in spot, one half game out of the eighth place, which would give them two chances to make the playoffs. This could be the biggest turnaround in the NBA since the trade deadline, which makes Pat Bev potentially the most impactful player at said trade deadline, which is absurd to say, but it actually could be true. A lot of it is about Pat Beverly. All of his teammates have embraced him. People are now reevaluating Pat Bev's time with the Lakers, and they're saying maybe it wasn't Pat Bev. Maybe it was the Lakers. So they asked Pat Bev what happened. What was going on with the Lakers? And he said, well, yeah, if I'm a spoon, Billy Donovan is using me as a spoon. The Lakers, you know, I was a spoon, and they used me as a fork. So, basically, Darvin Ham is trash. That's basically it. If you don't know how to use Pat Beverly when every place that Pat Beverly has gone has made the playoffs and he's been impactful in some way, then it's you, sir. You are the problem. Pat Beverly did the same thing to the Wolves. Every team that he's been playing for, he's brought defensive intensity, Clippers, Houston Rockets, confident swag, a level of annoyance that gets opposing star talent to I don't know, just get technicals, be irritated, get into fights. Case in point, his revenge game against the Lakers. Did you see this? He had 10 points, 5 assists, easy Bulls win, which is very important. He wanted to knock the Lakers out of the playoffs. He said that. He had an IG post. He said, I am coming to L.A., get your cameras out. And then had a a full Charmin, packet of Charmin in his car, meaning the Lakers are Charmin soft. The shit-talking, unbelievable. Scored on LeBron James in this game and gave him the too-small gesture. He gave the too-small gesture to LeBron James. Beverly said, yeah, yeah, I do it to everybody. This is just what I do. I have fun. I was getting lost in the game. I was just getting lost in the game. I'm having fun, man. We're not construction workers. We're not guys that have to give up before in the morning. We're professional basketball players. It's about having fun. That's what we try to do tonight. That's what I try to do tonight. And also... He tried to knock the Lakers out of fucking playoffs because they did him wrong. And that, folks, is Pat Bev in a nutshell. He lightens the mood. He brings the intensity. He gets soft players to be tough players. Him and Alex Crusoe together are tremendous. And you know what he always does? 
every single time, he always makes the playoffs. Every time. This Bulls team, to me, is a sneaky, dangerous team. They're not going anywhere in the playoffs, but they will be very annoying. They play the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics are going to get their hands full of Pat Bev in Jason Tatum's face, in Jalen Brown's face. And remember, Jalen Brown has that mask. So who knows what's going to happen there? Remember, he broke Devin Booker's nose in the playoffs. I'm just saying, watch your face, watch your butt around Pat Beverly because Boston's already lost twice to the Bulls this year by 14 and 18 points, and that was before Pat Beverly got there. I love that he saved the season for Chicago. That's his hometown, which I think is impactful. If he manages to win a first-round series, you will. You saw what he did with the Timberwolves when they won a playing game. Just imagine what he will do if he wins a playoff series. And that, to me, is good for the NBA. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Check back Friday. Do not forget to peep the feed. I think we have some interviews that we're going to post throughout the week. Bonus episodes that are going to drop unexpectedly. Follow the Heat Check. We are almost to the playoffs. I am going to Sacramento. So download, subscribe, tell your friends, every single one of them. Follow us on This Heat Check and Trista Crick on TikTok because the Heat Check never sleeps.